David's fall from grace, more people get shanked, and we have the world's first piñata. Welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. It's going to be a crazy, fun-filled 2 Samuel day, people getting stabbed, all sorts of fun stuff. We'll explain the piñata thing in a little bit. Mm. But before we get into it, be sure to like and subscribe to uh, Daily Gospel on our YouTube, Facebook, and hey, you know, if you want to stop heresy out in the world, like and subscribe to Stop Heresy. Yeah. Follow Daily Gospel. If you <laughs> like heresy, what should you do? Um, repent. Repent. And then like. Repent and then like, yep. Yeah, okay. Call us as pastors at Gospel Community Church in Santa Cruz, California, and we'll help you out. We have a great biblical church community here that gets you plugged into. Awesome. And if you don't like our church, we can recommend you to some other healthy churches in your area. For sure, for sure. Welcome to Daily Gospel. Anyway, First and Second Samuel, what are we talking about today? Shaking? What is going on? Oh, I don't know. Are you, are you, are you, are you, that's your leg. Possibly. Freaking me out, man. Yeah, that's possibly. Earth, we live in California, so. That's true. Yeah, it that's could have been an earthquake. You never know. Um, for Second Samuel? First and Second Samuel. That's what we're talking yeah, about yeah, first today. Samuel. It's great. Yeah, we're we're actually going to finish up Second Samuel today. Yeah. So, anyhow, should be a good many, time. Many adventures in this part of the Bible. It's great. So many adventures, and again, the stabbings continue. What is our stab count up to this I point? I think we did the math, and it's twenty six. There was 20, 24 guys right stabbed at the beginning. Other, at you and know, then we got uh, Abner and uh, Ishbosheth probably got stabbed too. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of st- twenty seven or twenty six. Yep. So it'll get higher. But the stabbing continues. Yep, yep. This is the important stuff that we're focusing on here. Yes, true. So First and Second Samuel is one book in the Hebrew Bible, and we saw at the beginning Hannah and her her song of praise to God mm-hmm. that really starts the path of the whole book. And then we saw the rise of Saul, this this tall, good looking king who's the king that they wanted, right? The the people's king, the the king that is like the nations. Who, who looks good, but inside is, is not after God's heart. And then we saw the rise of David in 1 Samuel as the shepherd taken to be a king. Right. And then Saul's unraveling. God deposes him as king, says, you're not going to be my, my king anymore. David's going to be the king. Right. And in the end of 1 Samuel, he commits suicide. Bummer. Sa- uh, David takes over in 2 Samuel. Don't forget about that guy that got stabbed, though, because he actually helps all die. So That's true. Yeah, I don't think he got stabbed. I think he got his, maybe his head chopped off. Uh, That's not really, it doesn't really count for the, the Fair, okay, fine, the counter, fine, fine, you know. yeah. But the key chapter we saw last week in David's rise to power, mm-hmm. those first 10 chapters of his rise to power, the key <laughs> chapter is chapter 7. Right, covenant. Which is the covenant with David. And we saw just some big ideas there of, rest of God building a house, a dynasty for David, the idea of the offspring continuing through David and um, of a future temp- temple building king that's going to come, mm-hmm. that's going to fulfill God's purposes. And also this idea of uh, punishment associated with the kings, right? that, that they are going to bear their own sins. And we yep. saw that Christ is the one who fulfills that covenant in, right. in many ways. So if you missed that, make sure you watch last week's episode. It'll give you some important information for this week. Uh, but this week, we're going to see David's failures. Yep. Ten chapters of success. Things were going well, and now <laughs> everything's a disaster. Yep. So um, it's going to get ugly. It's kind of the normal rhythm of the Old Testament. Absolutely. You yep. should be used to it by now, <laughs> and, and it'll happen a lot more. <laughs> it gets way, way worse. Um, and then at the end of the book, we have uh, 21 to 24. The last four chapters are sort of an epilogue, right. and we're going to see kind of the themes of the book sort of brought together at the very end. Awesome. So today we're going to look at that second half of the book, 
David's Fall in the aftermath of all that stuff. Um, it's going to be great. Um, you ready to jump in? Yeah, let's do it. Awesome. Let's, uh, if you guys want to follow along too, you guys always can. The listeners, chapter 11. Chapter uh, 11. Let's do it. David and Bathsheba, a classic story. A classic, terrible story. Classic, terrible story. And we find out, you know, I mean, again, you see weird stuff with David before here, but this is definitely a uh, big eye-opener for how David is not going to be a perfect godly king. Yeah. So So it starts off right in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle. David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel. And it goes on to say, but David remained at Jerusalem. So what the heck, David? King's supposed to be going to war. David, he's a warrior, you know? And he's sitting around up to no good. Eating grapes, drinking wine, whatever. Probably, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. And then in verse 2, we see that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was beautiful. What is it, When you hear that word saw, is it just me? Does that remind you of something? Does that remind you of a previous story in the Bible? Hmm. I don't know. Where someone saw, saw and took... I think there's been a couple times. Hmm. Nope. Doesn't ring a bell. Yeah, well, yeah, Adam and Eve. That's the first one that comes to mind oh, for me. Dang it. Eve, right, saw the fruit. Eyes. You know, that it was, it was good for food, to light to the eyes. Mm-hmm. And then the Samson, right? That was the, the verb we kept seeing uh, with Samson. The his eyes verb. were taken out, right? And he lost his eyes, yeah. Mm. And so now David, I, mean, I don't want to make too big of a point about that one verb, but that this is a, a theme as well, you know, seeing and... Uh, giving into temptation and taking, mm-hmm. and David fails. Right, he takes he takes uh, Bathsheba. Right, they have a what, what do you want to call it? One night stand, booty call. I don't know. It's <laughs> it's bad. Right, it's very bad. And uh, and David has like fifteen wives. I don't even know how many wives he has. Yeah, it's crazy. Guessing. He has a lot of wives already, and yet, um, so he's already been sinning sexually in that sense, but. He has to have more, and so it takes Bathsheba, and she gets pregnant. Right. Yeah. You don't know the stories of all the other ones necessarily, but like what, you know, I think obviously the really bad one about this one is the murder yeah. involved with it, right? The cover-up is worse than the crime, <clears throat> right? as it so often is, right? So he sins, and he wants to fix it, so he tries to deceive Uriah. Yeah. So his plan is very simple. Uriah's a warrior. He's at war. That's why he wasn't there to protect his wife, and Uriah's fighting David's battles, Right. I mean, Uriah is being honorable and David's being dishonorable. He brings Uriah back, says he wants a report of the war. He's suddenly very interested in Uriah and says, why don't you, why don't you go home and spend time with your wife? Right. <laughs> and Uriah won't do it. So in verse 9, it says, Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his own house. Right. He's being the honorable one. Yeah. So he's he's upstanding and David's like, "Wait, why why didn't you why didn't you go spend time with your wife, you know? Wash your feet. Wash your feet." Uh, verse 11, Uriah said to David, "The ark of Israel and Judah dwell in booths, and my lord Joab and my servants, the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife as you live and as your soul lives?" I, I will not do this thing. So he sees, he understands what honor is, right? And, right. and staying true to his his uh, fellow soldiers and to not dishonoring them by having an advantage that they don't. But David is the exact opposite. Right. And, uh, and then in verse 13, David actually gets him drunk. That's his second plan, get him drunk, and then try to get him to go back to sleep with his wife. But even then, even though he tricked Uriah getting drunk, a, a drunk Uriah is more honorable than a 
you know, sober David. Right. So we, we just see how bad this is getting. I mean, David looks really bad in contrast. Yep. You know, just like before, it was the contrast between Saul and David, right? David fighting Goliath while Saul was cowering in fear. And now we have the opposite thing happening, which is David's actually one <clears throat> looking really, really bad. If you want to, you know, really good example of this story um, in an illustration form, check out Veggie Tales. Um, <laughs> it's instead of, you know, a woman and adultery, they make it palatable to kids by having that thing be a rubber ducky. It's great. So oh, David has yeah. all these rubber duckies. I'm sorry, I didn't grow up watching VeggieTales or, mm. you know, so like it's all new to me as I'm showing to my daughters. Uh, my daughter, I guess, is the only one old enough. But um, yeah, it's pretty great. Check and it out. I, yeah, I mean, if I do, you probably just turn this off and just watch VeggieTales <laughs> for everything. Well, we'll put it's the episode for VeggieTales for this story um, in place of Daily Gospel on our website. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyway, so David, of course, uh, his plot, plot is not working. Right. He can't cover up. So he decides to come clean mm-hmm. and tell the truth. No, he he decides to kill Uriah. He decides <laughs> yeah. to go further and commit a worse This isn't funny. Crime. Why am I laughing? Yeah, I know. I know. It's been a couple thousand years, right? <laughs> so I guess you, you can kind of laugh at it. But um, it, it's it's just you have to laugh so you don't cry, right? Because David's been given everything by mm-hmm. God. I mean, literally everything. He's been right. given an eternal kingdom, right? And uh, the sonship in, in, in of God. I mean. That's literally a Crazy. couple of chapters before, like God's promising like amazing things to David, and then David's like, "Yes, God, thank you for you know this great you know blessing," and then just it seems like it just declined after that. Like, oh sweet, God loves me. I'm just gonna go and sin more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so basically the plot is is hatched where he sends word to Joab the general that he should charge the wall of the city they're fighting and then pull everyone back and let Uriah keep going. So, hey, very, right, very you're going to lead the troops here. And then, yeah, he's YOLOing it at the wall <laughs> like he's, he's told to do. And then he looks back and no one's there. And, right. and he dies. I mean, just a really tragic thing. This is an honorable man. This is a, one of David's mighty men. Right. These are the guys that were with him through thick and thin mm-hmm. when he was fleeing from Saul. And David betrays him. And so the David feels pretty content. He marries Bathsheba. Everything's good, right? But Bathsheba being the lady that Until he saw. Until our boy Nathan comes around. Yes, that's right. But it, yeah, the, the last words of the chapter are not good, right? The, that's but true. The, the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. So God's not going to let this go unpunished. And remember, we saw part of the covenant. There's all good stuff, all great stuff, except for when you sin, I will discipline you with the rods of men. Mm-hmm. So that's concerning, right? God's going to have to discipline his son, the one he loves, and mm-hmm. he does that. So so in chapter 12, we see Nathan's confrontation. He tells him a story. I just love the story he tells. I always think this is just so this is a great story. But he's, you know, he's t- talking about there's a rich man who had all these herds or rubber duckies, and the the there was a poor man who only had one little sheep. And it says in verse 3 of chapter 12, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought, and he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. He used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Welcome to Santa Cruz. California. Yeah, I'm like, there are people like this in Santa Cruz for sure. You know, he, so he put, he would put this lamb in his stro- in a stroller and push push her around and <laughs> <laughs> dress it up in clothes. And I was yeah, I was quick tangent. It reminded me of I was watching your daughter years ago. Um, my wife and I were we were going on a walk. And we had your dog and your daughter. You know, your daughter was in the stroller, and the dog was just walking next to us. We walked by this couple, and they asked us, oh, how old is she? 
and they were pointing to the dog, just assuming that it was a she. For one, that's you know very offensive to well, me. Very offensive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they didn't care about the daughter, who was like you know a year and a half old. You know, <laughs> they cared about the dog. It's like, <laughs> very true. Very true. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway, very yep. true. Yeah, and maybe I, I'm guessing Nathan's you know using this because David was a shepherd. Like he understands sheep. Right. He knows what it means to care, and and he gets so angry. Well, sorry, I didn't finish the story. So. This guy loves the sheep, and the guy, the rich guy, is having a, a guy over for dinner, and he says, I don't want to slaughter one of my sheep. I'll take his sheep, the one in the stroller, and kill it and make my dinner, right? Yeah. And David just gets so angry, right, that this happened in his kingdom. He's just irate, and he says in verse 5, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. So he pronounces the judgment, which is, Fourfold repayment. That's right. actually a biblical model, right. right? You steal. So pay back four sheep for one and death. Mm-hmm. So that's his pronouncement. And of course, God will use this sentence against him. Mm-hmm. So that's what you believe is justice. And of course, I mean, this is how we all are, right? I think to some degree, we will sin and we want mercy for our sin and we want justice for others. And we just, right. we, we don't see the disconnect very often. So, um, so Nathan, you know, turns on him, verse seven, and said, "You are the man. Mm-hmm. This is this is you, David. You've done this." And he just hits David with how much God has done to him, how much grace God has given that he saw fit to to treat God's good creation like this, right? right? The image of God like this. And in verse ten, it says, "Therefore, the sh- the sword shall never depart from your house." Mm-hmm. So there's going to be warfare constantly. Verse eleven, he says, "Your wives will be." Someone will sleep with your wives in the sight of the whole people. Um, so it's very heavy judgment. So we're going to see a fourfold repayment. Uh, that We'll see that later on. But does David get death like he prescribes? And what we see in verse 13 is David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Mercy, right? Mercy, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mercy that he didn't get the payment or the uh, the pun- punishment that he deserved. Right. That God was was willing to to spare him in that way. But verse 14, nevertheless because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Hmm. So the the first child is going to die. So what we're going to see with this fourfold repayment is that David's going to pay for the sin by losing four of his sons. Right. Four of his sons will die as a result of the chaos he's brought into his family mm. because of his sin. And it starts with this, this unnamed child, right. right? This infant child that's born, that's sickly, that ends up dying. And, um, and so that's, that's child number one. So we're going to see this, this cascade of chaos and conflict in David's family and in his kingdom. It's going to get really, really bad now. Yep, for sure. Small caveat. A lot of people who believe all infants go to heaven use this verse or this yeah, chapter. That's so, true. Anyway, that's true. dig into it later. We'll learn about it. Chapter 13. Chapter 13. So we see in verse 1 of chapter 13. Oh, by the way, we didn't mention that the, the, he conquers a city at the end of chapter 12. I just think this is funny. But <laughs> it says that in chapter 12, verse 30, there, that the king of that city had a crown. So when he conquered the city, mm-hmm. he took the crown, it says... The weight of it was a talent of gold, and in it was a precious stone, and it was placed on David's head, and he brought out of the spoil of the city a very great amount. So he, he wears this th- crown, no big deal, right? Well, a talent of gold is 75 pounds. 
Can you imagine wearing something on your head that is 75 pounds? That's more than, more than a bag of concrete. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Go, like, go to Home Depot this week and put a bag of concrete heavier than that. I just keep wondering how how ripped is David? How huge is he? Like his neck must be like a like a lineman or something. Well, then we that's talked insane. about it the other week. Like he, you know, he's using Goliath's sword. He's using Goliath's sword. Yeah, that's a large sword that he's carrying around right. and wielding fine. And yeah, and then this anyway, not not important, but I just thought it was funny. I'm like, dang, dude, you just like I wonder if he like they put him on him and he's like, Okay, photo op, take it off, take it off, I'm done. <laughs> or was he actually like walking around with it like it was nothing? He's a strong guy. Uh so chapter thirteen, we see David's sin is spreading to his family. So we see his firstborn son, Amnon, mm-hmm. is obsessed with his half sister, Tamar. Dang it. Big, big problems here, obviously. And what we see is Amnon is a pagan and mm-hmm. how he's living. Right. He's he's uh, pr- going to practice incest. Mm-hmm. He's going to commit rape. Um, he he's going to treat a, a person like an object. And really, he's living like the Canaanites of that land. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, when when God gives the commands against things like this in Leviticus. He keeps saying, don't be like the people of the land you're going to inhabit. Right. Be different. Don't be like them. And Amnon, the firstborn son of David, is explicitly acting like a Canaanite. In fact, it reminds us a lot of uh, Genesis 34, mm-hmm. the the rape of uh, Dina right. by Shechem. Right. And it and the, the, the payment for that was death, right? Shechem ends up dying. His whole city ends up dying. And the same thing's going to happen with Amnon. So Amnon basically... Tricks his his sister, half his half sister, into uh, taking care of him. Pretends like he's sick and rapes her, and, and then rejects her, and then he rejects her. Yeah. Right. So yeah. So verse twelve, um, you know, the, Tamar says, "Don't do this. Don't violate me. For such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. As for me, where should I carry my shame? And as for you, you'd be like as one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Well, now, surely is that? What's that? I said he surely is that. Totally. Yeah. yeah. It's an outrageous thing. It's a wicked thing, right? It, but he doesn't listen, and he just indulges his lust. And then in verse 15, he rejects her and throws her out, and the whole thing is just awful. Mm. But this is what David did to Bathsheba, mm. right? Maybe not the same details, maybe not incest, but the same uh, you know, indulging of your momentary desires, right. your lusts that, that David did. Now his son is doing it. So mm. he's, the sin of the father is being is being uh, emulated by the son. Hmm. Uh, by the way, being named Tamar in the Bible does not bode well for people. <laughs> it just doesn't, right? I mean, because the the whole, you know, um, the Tamar in, in the story of Judah in in the book of Genesis, um, she has a pretty rough time as well. Right. So don't don't name your yeah don't do it. That. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That was on our list, but we quickly took it off. You know, for yeah yeah yeah. No, it wasn't on the list. Just kidding. <laughs> so David. Because uh, probably because he's compromised himself, won't do justice uh, to his son. He won't punish him for his sin, and so this leads to further problems. Right. Uh, so Absalom, Tamar's brother, full brother, has a grudge against Amnon, mm-hmm. and is just waiting for a time to kill him. And what happens is he's able to to hatch a plot to kill Amnon at this feast that he holds, and so we now have child number two dying. Yep. So Bathsheba's firstborn, and then David's. Firstborn son, you know it's <clears throat> obviously there is just you know like 
you know, justice on God's part, you know, for, for punishment of what has been done, the sins that have been committed, you know, against God. But I mean, it's just like also at the same time, a reality of like our sin affects other people. Right. Yeah. So and you just see that like full, full bore here in the story of David, like his own sin, his, him sleeping with this one woman is not just his sin, you know, it's affecting all of his nation. Right. Yeah. So anyway, Absolutely. For, chapter 14. So Joab um, convinces David through this kind of this plot to bring Absalom back. So Absalom's kind of exiled, mm-hmm. but he's not punished either. Right. And so David eventually brings him back. It seems like Joab, I mean, Joab, is, he's a conniving guy, as we've seen. So maybe Joab's trying to kind of, you know, getting good with Absalom because he knows there could be something there. Absalom could be the future king. But Absalom, uh, you know, he offends Joab basically by burning his field. <laughs> And uh, Absalom is really, a, he's a smart guy who's super dumb, right? And we all know folks like this. Maybe we are folks like this, or right? if we know, <laughs> we try to repent of it. But you can be like super smart and, and, and have all these great plans, but then you're just prideful and dumb. And uh, that's Absalom, right? So we see actually in verse 25 of chapter 14, it says, In all Israel there was no one so much to be praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. Abs- ha- handsome again. Awesome. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. <sighs> Sounds like you, dude. Thank and he, you. And when, he cut, <laughs> and when he cut the hair of his head, for at the end of every year, he used to cut it. When it was heavy on him, he cut it. He weighed the hair of his head. Kind of weird. Uh, <laughs> 200 shekels by the king's weight. They were born to Absalom, three sons. Uh, so, in other words, there's this focus. I for, I'm, try, I'm trying to think about how, how much is... A shekel is three quarters of an ounce. So how many pounds of hair is that? It's like... It's like Seven pounds or something like that. Yeah, I don't okay. know. Someone needs to do the math for us, but uh, we we can't. Or oh, two fifths of an ounce. It's pounds of hair, though. Um, <laughs> so, which is again, yeah, it's it's super weird that he's like, I weigh my hair, and this is how much it weighs. Uh, <laughs> so, like, I only cut it once a year. Um, <laughs> so, like a you know a masculine trait, you know, like I can grow this much hair. I have very <laughs> heavy hair. <laughs> Also, how would that feel on your head if you had like seven pounds of hair? You probably have neck problems. Probably would. But if you can weigh a seventy-five, wear a seventy-five pound crown, you're probably good. I guess. Crazy. But uh, but yeah. So the but the emphasis here though is it's a big focus on his appearance, and it's very reminiscent of of who Saul. Saul, right? Saul, the the good looking, you know, <clears throat> yeah. king of the people. Um, yeah. So it's very focused. It's very reminiscent of Saul, and he's going to be a similar kind of king. Right, mm-hmm. and an usurper, yeah, but one who looks really good and the people love. Well, yeah, so, it's, a, it's a king of the people, right? It's yeah. not a king of God, so exactly, yeah. yeah. So what he does is he, in uh, chapter fifteen, he begins to sort of hatch a plot, and he begins to just slowly win over the hearts of the people, and he does it by hanging out at the city gates, and when someone would come in, he would talk them up. Oh man, you got to you, you, your concerns are great. Someone your, should do something about this. Your, your hair's better than mine. <laughs> No, not that far. Um, and you know, oh, he says, verse four, oh, that I were judge in the land, then every man with a dispute or cause might come to me, and I would give him justice. It's always, it's always so easy to be like, this is how someone should lead when you're not leading. It's, it just reminds me of a presidential campaign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everything would be so perfect if I was in charge. Um, and and basically, he it says in verse six, he stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Right, he would he would kiss he would take hold of them and kiss them. Right, so he'd embrace them. Weird, kind of weird again. But yeah, the cultural thing there. Um, but he's winning over their hearts in order to turn them against David, and so he ends up declaring himself king, 
Weren't we asked this question? Should like Christian guys kiss other Christian guys today? Weren't we asked this uh, question yeah, recently? Yeah, yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. Not in not in America. Please. Yeah. Please. Please. Please don't. Yeah. Especially in our current cultural context. That's true. Just are afraid of everything. You who, the one who does this, I shall not name you. <laughs> we know who you are, though. We've heard stories. <laughs> don't kiss dudes. Um, so where was I? We were in chapter 15. So Absolutely. David flees. He yeah. goes, he goes out, of, out of the country. Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah, no, important stuff here. <laughs> yeah. and, um, and, and really on the way out, he betrays Mephibosheth. Mm-hmm. So the, the servant of Mephibosheth says, oh, Mephibosheth wants to be king now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like it's probably a lie. It's kinda, it doesn't explicitly tell us, but it seems like a lie. And David goes ahead and says, okay, everything that belonged to Mephibosheth belongs to you as a servant. And he leaves him hmm. kind of out to dry. Yep. And, and so we're seeing big, big problems here, aside from just obviously the sexual immorality. David is not leading as he should right. with covenant loyalty. And so um, verse seven, or chapter 17, there's this battle between Ahithophel and Hushai. Ahithophel, both of them were advisors of King David. Right. Both wise men. Now, Ahithophel betrayed David and was with Absalom, but Hushai was loyal to David, and, and David says to Hushai, I want you to go back and be like a, a double agent, basically. Mm-hmm. Right? I want you to I want you to frustrate whatever Ahithophel says. Right. Because Ahithophel was known to be, like, whatever he said was was true. He mm-hmm. was just, like, so accurate in whatever he said. And so David knew that was a problem for him. Mm-hmm. Ahithophel was going to give him good wisdom. Right. So he needed to corrupt that wisdom. Right. It, corrupt it in a, in a good way to help the <laughs> true king. Anyway, so what happens is Ahithophel... Now, you have to understand, Ahithophel was the father of Eliam, mm-hmm. who may also be uh, maybe a, kind of a, another name for Amiel. So we see that in 2 Samuel 23. But Amiel was the father of Bathsheba. Oh, interesting. Okay, and that we see that in First Chronicles chapter three. So, in other words, a lot of people believe that Ahithophel was the grandfather of Bathsheba. Mm. So this might show again that the 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 chickens are coming home to roost. Is that the right term? Yeah. That uh, that David, that what he did is coming back on him because this guy wants revenge mm-hmm. for this mistreatment of, of his granddaughter, mm-hmm. and uh, and I mean, and Bathsheba's father was one of his his mighty men right so there's a lot of betrayal happening here but it's a great 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 kingship under david at this point yeah Yeah. not not great right but so what hithophel says basically david's on the run absalom you need to go and attack him right now before Mm -hmm. he can consolidate power he won't be able to defeat you go get him now and uh, absalom says that seems like great advice until Hushai comes along. And Hushai <laughs> is very smart because Hushai knows that Absalom is a guy who weighs his own hair. Right? He's, <laughs> Absalom is a guy who cares way too much about his body image or something. And so he's, he gives him counsel that plays upon his vanity. Right. And I love, I love it. He says, you know, if you, if you go attack your, your father right now, he's, he's a war, seasoned warrior. He's going to overcome you. No, here's what you got to do. Verse 11, he says, he says, my counsel to you, is that all Israel be gathered to you from Dan to Beersheba as the sand by the sea for multitude, and then you shall go to battle in person. <laughs> so, so get this huge army. It's going to be more impressive, and you go with them, right? Because you're like a warrior, <laughs> even though he's not, um, and he could just stay back and win the battle without right. you know, lifting a finger. He goes on, he says, so we, shall come, so we shall come upon him in some place where he is to be found, and we shall light upon him as the dew falls on the ground, 
and of him and all the men with him, not one will be left. We'll just devastate them. Yep. Because that's what you need if you want to be king of this land. Devastate your own people. If he withdraws into a city, then all Israel will bring ropes to that city, you know, the city that you're going to rule over one day, <laughs> and will drag it into the valley until not even a pebble is to be found there. Just completely decimate everything. <laughs> so the, the, the whole idea of this, this council is, Absalom, once you look so powerful and so mighty, if you do this with a big army and a big victory and it's like complete, you'll look so good. And you can be with the army. Right. And so, of course, Absalom says, the council of Hushai is better than the council of Ahithophel. Right, because it says the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Hithophel, mm. so the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. So right. God is is His sovereignty is still at work here. This right. is part of His plan, and and God's going to redeem uh, David's situation. But um, basically, at this point, Hithophel gets on his donkey, uh, goes to his house, puts all his you know home in order, his inheritance, whatever, and kills himself because <laughs> Hithophel knows. <laughs> I'm being led by a complete moron, and my advice was perfect, and now we're going to lose. Right? He just knew that he was, uh, don't kill yourself, obviously, but that's why he does that, because he, he, he thinks that, he understands what's going to happen. Right. Um, and then chapter 18, we have the battle. Mm-hmm. And I love that, you know, Absalom is going out on a mule. So because he's all about image, he doesn't go on a war horse, which would be more practical. He goes on a mule, which is more kind of a, a donkey or a mule would be like more esteemed, more, mm-hmm. you know, kind of uh, kingly kind of a, a appearance. So he's going out with, with a mule. But verse 5, David says, don't, don't, be, don't hurt my son, which is something you don't want to tell people when they're going to war. Don't hurt people. Don't <laughs> hurt people. But he does. And so he's riding on a mule, verse 9. Um, Absalom's just going along, you know, trotting along. And all of a sudden... His head gets caught in a branch of a tree. This is a great warrior. This is a great warrior. Yes. So (laughs) what probably is happening here is that Absalom's hair is caught, right? His very thick, luscious locks Mm. are caught in a tree. Everything. And so it's so ironic because obviously you have his his image is what comes back to to kill him. The Mm -hmm. fact he's on a mule, he can't run fast. The fact that he's got this this hair, um, he gets caught in the tree and he's hanging from the tree. And I love it. He's probably hanging there for a while because, you know, a guy comes along and says, and then goes back to Joab and is like, hey, Absalom's hanging from that tree. You know, so Absalom's just hanging there, not dead. And uh, Joab says, well, you should kill him. And they say, no, like it's David's son. You don't kill him. And so Joab comes along, takes three javelins and thrusts them through. He just, he plays darts. With, or pinata. Uh, pinata. He's a, he's a pinata. Human pinata. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and Joab kills him contrary to David's wishes, and uh, David's not happy about that. Not happy at all. This has happened a couple times. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. I want. This is now the third time. <laughs> so our shiv count is up to I don't know, I don't know thirty or something. But yeah, it's it's high. And uh, and David you know hears about this and he mourns. Mm-hmm. He mourns the victory of his people. Yep. And this is definitely not inspiring. You come back and you say, we've, we've won the victory. And he, all he cares about is that his son died, mm. this traitor's son. So it's very bad. And Job actually rebukes him in chapter 19. He says, if you keep crying like this, you're going to lose every one of your soldiers. Mm. Like They're going to they're, they're gonna hate you yep. because they just risked life and limb for you. And so David gets it together, consolidates his army. But we have another civil war happening. Mm-hmm. We have yet another one. Uh, by the way, he does kind of redeem the situation with Mephibosheth a little bit. Mephibosheth says, hey, I was tricked, and David splits. 
the property of Saul with the servant and with Mephibosheth, but he doesn't show the kind of love he had promised right. uh, to him. So more civil war in chapter 20. Things are getting worse, but we, I want to get to the, the epilogue yeah. with the time we have left. Um, there's a story at the beginning, as I mentioned, about Saul's failure, how he killed the Gibeonites, mm-hmm. and there's a story at the end of David's failure with this census that he takes. So that's a frame of this last section. And then inside of that frame, there's stories about David's mighty men. Right. There's a story on one end. Story on the other. And in the middle of those, at the center of this epilogue, are these poems by David. Mm-hmm. So all of these are very important. So chapter 21 is basically, um, there's, there's a famine in the land. Something's wrong with the land. And it's been years. And God, God says to David, the reason for this is because of the guilt of Saul when he killed the Gibeonites. So there's some sort of guilt on the land, a curse on the land right. that needs to be taken away. And the question is, what's the price to pay? Yeah. Well, you have to kill some of the Saul's, yeah. uh, Saul's sons. Atonement needs to be made, right? Yeah, atonement. Mm. And so what they do is they hang them. Now, why hang them? Hmm. Well, this goes back. Really, this whole chapter is a case study of Deuteronomy 21. If you remember that, it's a very important chapter. We talked about it on our, our Deuteronomy episode. Um, this this whole chapter is about that, right? Which is the idea that when there's a curse on the land, um, it's be- if it's because of murder, you have to kill the murderer mm-hmm. and bury their body to absolve the curse, mm-hmm. right? Cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. right? And so here we see that he hangs them, but the famine doesn't go away until he buries the bodies, puts them into the ground finally, and then the curse is lifted. So this is very significant theologically. Right. Showing us that the, the death of a king, someone related to a king, is going to bring uh, an absolution or you know t- taking away of the curse. Right. Yep. Exactly. It's very 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 interesting. So yeah, cross reference our talk on Deuteronomy. If you forget all of that, it's it is a really important thing, and it, it leads us directly to Jesus Christ in the Book of oh, Galatians. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Now the poems are the the song I should say of David in the middle. It's it's connected in so many ways to the song of Hannah. Mm-hmm. So I won't go through all that again, but really we see this emphasis. The whole psalm is about how God exalts the poor and how he guards David, his faithful one. And th- those are the same themes as his Hannah's poem at the beginning. Mm-hmm. That set the whole stage for the, the book of First and Second Samuel. Right. So he's talking about that th- this idea of God watching over him. He also talks about the uniqueness of God mm. in verse 32, some of the same language as Hannah. Verse 32, he says, For who is God but the Lord, and who is a rock except our God? Hmm. The idea of God being a rock, that God is uh, the one and only. And the, the, the book has shown us that. And then we see talk of a messianic king at the very end, right? He ends, like Hannah does, talking about salvation through the Messiah. Through offspring, yeah. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, that means Messiah, to David and his offspring forever. Hmm. The offspring coming up again, as we saw in chapter 7. So this is, I mean, this is big kind of wrapping up the whole book in a nice boat, but we have one last story, which is David and the census. Mm -hmm. So David does something that is arrogant, prideful. He wants to count his people, and this is bad because God has told them to trust in in him and not in their own might, right? Don't do a census of your warriors to see how big your army is. Instead, trust me that I'll win the battles for you. Right. But David does this prideful act, and <laughs> God gives him an option of, of what he wants to do. Do you want you know an enemy to take over you? Do you want do you want me or do you want me to you know fall into the hands of God? Mm-hmm. 
and he says, I'll, I'll fall into the hands of God. Yeah. Right? And it goes war, famine, and then, and then fall into God's hands. And a, a plague is sent, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Bunch um, of bunch of people die, huh? Yeah, and, and and the death is spreading, and so he actually encounters people. No. the angel of the Lord at on this hill where there's the, the threshing floor of uh, Arauna, Aruna, Aruna, the Jebusite. So he's in Jerusalem, and on this hill at the threshing floor, the angel of the Lord is there, and and David approaches him and builds an altar. And offers a sacrifice in order to stop the plague that's spreading. So that's basically what happens. And because of that, because of his intercession, right? He basically, David says in verse 17, he says, Behold, I have sinned and have done wickedly, but these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand be against me and against my father's house. Mm. So David's playing the intercessor, the mediator, and saying, stop the plague. And he, he sacrifices and the plague stops. Right. And what happens at the end here, it's, it seems kind of a strange ending, but it's very important for what's coming next, which is he purchases that plot of land. Mm-hmm. He says, I want this plot of land yeah, and the altar that's there, and this is going to be the foundation for the temple. Right, exactly, which will set us up for the rest of the Old Testament. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Well, I'm really reminded of, you know, as, as you know, we're hearing the story of, of David, you know, I'm just reminded of God's graciousness and God's sovereignty. Like yeah. Those two things. Like it's crazy to to look at the graciousness of God's forgiveness, even though there's obviously justice in these stories. God is like overwhelmingly gracious, especially with David, because David's coming onto the scene as this great kingly, you know, godly king, you know, one chosen by God, and yet he still kind of looks like the rest of the kings. <laughs> like he's yeah. he's still wretched, he still fails, um, but God still is is holding his promise through David, right? Absolutely. So it's God's gracious. He's sovereign. He's in control of this whole story. But God is gracious and uh, and good in the whole process as well. So um, that's what I'm reminded of when you know reading First um, and Second Samuel. Um, but let's see how the gospel connects. Again, we've talked about it a little bit, but how's the gospel connecting um, as we finish up Second Samuel? Obviously, the biggest thing is D- Jesus is the king that doesn't fail. All right. Right. So going back to previous weeks, um, that Jesus is that promised Messiah, but he doesn't fail in the ways that, that David does. Right. And that's so important. We see even at this, this final story, mm-hmm. Jesus is that intercessor, that king who intercedes between God and, and man, who, who stems the wrath of God, by a sacrifice of himself, right, and he doesn't do it to pay for his own sins, but to pay for our sins, right, right. He is the the true temple builder. All these things. Yeah, he reverses the curse. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. He he. Yeah, we see that in that chapter twenty one of of the the curse being taken from the land. Right mm-hmm. when Jesus is buried and his body is put away, the curse goes with him, mm-hmm. as we've seen before. So, also, I mean, when you think of Ahithophel, mm-hmm. this is sort of a specific thing in these chapters, but. David, uh, he talks a lot in the Psalms about how he's been betrayed. Mm-hmm. And he's yep. betrayed a lot, right? By right. Absalom, by Ahithophel, by, uh, you know, all over the place he's being betrayed. And David's always talking about this. I mean, this weighed heavily on him. And it points to the messianic sufferer, right? The suffering mm. servant, the one who's going to come, who's going to be uh, betrayed and beaten and mocked and all these things. And so when you think about, look at like Psalm 41, verse 9. Right, my my friend that I trusted has lifted up their heel against me. Hmm. That's David speaking of his own experience and the fact that he was betrayed. But it's quoted in in the Gospels. Right, uh, it's quoted in, in John thirteen um, when Judas is planning to betray 
Jesus, right? He, he says, I'm, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted up his heel against me. Hmm. So he's quoting from Psalms and saying the fulfillment of that is in my own betrayal by Judas. Hmm. So when we see G- David being betrayed, and there's a sense in which he deserved it. Right. Well, there's no sense in which David or Jesus deserved the betrayal that he faced. Right. And and he's going to fulfill that image of uh, betrayal. He's 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 betrayed by his friends um, in order to make us his friends. Yeah. And right, to welcome us in. So yeah. So so many aspects of the kingship uh, of Jesus or of, of David that lead to to Christ. Yeah. Amen. Um, and we need a king who will build that final temple, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So that's what we get to look forward to is, as people of the offspring of the woman, people who are part of the promises of God. So we get to joyfully like, look forward to that day. That's right. Yeah, we have a king who doesn't build a, a physical temple, but it says, my body is the temple, mm-hmm. right? And now you're in me, and you connect with God yeah. anywhere and everywhere. Right? Yeah. It's going to be amazing. It is amazing. Um, cool. Well, that's all we got for uh, today's episode of Daily Gospel. Thanks for joining us. I hope we are equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. We'll see you next week.